calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Neve brought her swing to a sudden stop. Her arms looked like they might snap as they caught her flying weight mid-swing. She thought she had heard a voice coming from somewhere near the pond in the middle of the park across the street from her house. Hi, I'm B. the voice repeated. I'm up here. In the tree? asked Neve. She directed her attention to a weeping willow near the water. The tree, with its wispy tendrils sprouting puny leaves, looked nearly transparent. Neve could clearly see each branch contrasted against the gray October sky. There was no boy up there, yet that was almost certainly where his voice had come from. Come up with me, B called. The tree swayed from the top down like a billowing dress hanging from the hips of an enormous woman. Neve left the swing set and cautiously approached the tree. Its branches sprouted off at various angles, sometimes jutting out over the pond. Neve stood near the trunk and stared up into the dome, the bubble, the jellyfish that was the willow tree. It was quite obvious no one was up there. I don't see you, Neve said. The tree swayed again. Long green tentacles spotted with yellowish-orange leaves danced around Neve's head. Use the low branch over there, said the voice of B. 
Neve's head rotated on instinct, and her eyes settled on a branch suspended over the pond. The branch's genesis was far above Neve's head, but due to the tree's sporadic angles, a portion of the limb curved down low enough for her to wrap her arms around it. But it wouldn't be easy. That particular portion of the branch hung out over the water. She could reach it from the bank, but one wrong step, one slip of a hand or foot, and Neve would find herself swimming through pond scum. You've got to see how pretty it is up here, Bee called from above. Neve's eyes shot upward, going straight to the focal point of his voice. Determined to find the boy, she planted her feet on the bank and wrapped her arms around the hanging branch. She jumped and tried to swing one leg over the branch, but missed. Her feet came down, one on the bank and one splashing into the shallowest water. I can't do it, Neve whined. Yes, you can. You can do amazing things if you just try, said B. Neve gritted her teeth. She knew he was right. It was the message she had heard from every PBS show she had watched after school. Do your best. Try. She recalled a kid in a wheelchair playing basketball on Sesame Street. Determined, Neve embraced the branch once again, interlacing her fingers. She kicked off the ground and in one perfect motion wrapped both legs around the branch. It swayed as if lazily trying to shake her off, but she held fast. You did it, cheered Bee's voice from above. Neve couldn't contain her smile as she hoisted her slight body atop the branch. Still smiling, she looked up. A black crow swooped down from the highest branches of the willow tree. It issued an angry squawk as it dove straight for Neve's head. She screamed and put her hands up to shield her face. She felt the crow's wings beat at her hands and twisted away. The sudden movement within her already unstable position caused her to shift too far to the left and fall. Neve opened her eyes to see the scummy water rising to greet her in slow motion. A bullfrog jumped out of her way. She squeezed her eyes shut again, but just before the inevitable cold splash, something jerked Neve toward the shore. She tumbled onto the bank. The same foot which had already splashed in the shallow water landed in it again, but otherwise, Neve was safe and dry. She opened her eyes. There was B. He was real. Now he wasn't just a voice, he was standing above her, looking down with concern. He had medium-length black hair, thick eyebrows, and the palest skin Neve had ever seen. His face sort of looked like an amateur artist's sketch come to life. Eyes slightly too far apart, nose a little too high and slightly crooked. He had a small mouth, too, made smaller by his worried frown. He had both hands in the pockets of his gray hoodie, and the legs of his blue jeans were smudged all over with dirt. That was close, he said. Standing, Neve said, Thanks for saving me. B smiled. That water looks cold. Plus, I kind of feel like it was my fault you fell. It's okay, Neve said. How did you get up there? I'm good at climbing. After a pause, he asked, Want to be friends? Neve smiled and said, Okay. She led B back to the swing set, where they swung back and forth until her shodden foot dried out. After that, they played children's games in between chats about life their families, or rather Neve's family. B claimed he didn't really have a family and wouldn't share any more when pressed. Neve privately wondered if not having a family 
was why his name was only one letter instead of four like hers. After nearly two hours, Neve began to shiver, even when keeping active. The moist air, cooled by Autumn's frigid breath, had penetrated her jacket and clothes. Want to come see my house? She asked B. It's right across the street. My parents and brother are home, so you can meet my whole family. B looked uncomfortable, looked away. Neve touched his hand, this was something she had seen in a movie once, and said, It's okay if you're shy. B finally agreed to go with Neve. She led him across the street, prancing all the way. She burst through the front door of her house, shouting, Mom, Dad, I brought a friend home. Somewhere deep in the house, a chair slid and a door opened. In another place, a light switch clicked. Then two sets of footsteps converged upon the entryway. Neve's parents appeared at the same time with broad, prepared smiles, which vanished as soon as they saw B. This is my friend I met at the park, Neve said, not letting her parents' reaction phase her. His name is B. B, huh? Her dad asked. Is that short for something? When B didn't answer, Neve turned toward him. She saw he was shaking his head. Her dad stared incredulously at B as if his silent answer wasn't good enough. Neve's mom whispered, It's okay, I had an imaginary friend when I was her age too. Loudly, she said, It's nice to meet you, B. Welcome to our home. B shut the door a little harder than Neve thought he probably meant to. It boomed and rattled some picture frames on a shelf in the living room. The sound must have startled her parents because they both jumped and stared with wide eyes. Guess it's getting windy out there, her dad said. Her mom said, Neve, why don't you, you and Dee, go play downstairs for a while with Jeremy? I'm finishing up some work and your dad needs to start making dinner. It's B, Mom, Neve corrected. Her mom bit the inside of her cheek and nodded slightly. Oh, right, dinner, her dad groaned. Then, I forgot to pull out the chicken. He vanished, sucked away in a tornado of long brown hair and baggy sweats. Her mom walked away without another word. You remember I told you about my brother Jeremy? Neve asked B. He nodded. She led him toward the basement stairs. B whispered, Sorry I slammed the door. I think it made your parents mad. No, they can just be really weird, Neve said. Jeremy's kind of a weirdo too. Mom said we should play with him, but I never really play with him. He thinks he's too cool. He sounds like a jerk. Neve smirked. Yeah, kinda. The basement was one semi-finished room with carpet on the floor and bare walls. The exposed ceiling showed all the pipes and ducts and wires running beneath the floor above. In the corner, as far from the air conditioner and furnace as possible, Jeremy sat on a folding chair with an electric guitar in his hands and one foot propped up on a small amplifier. He barely spared Neve a glance and didn't seem to notice B at all. Jeremy! Neve shouted as Jeremy launched into a poorly executed system of a down riff. Jeremy! What? 15-year-old Jeremy demanded. He muted his strings with his right hand and curled his left into a fist. I want you to meet my friend B from the park. What kind of a name is that? Jeremy asked. Appalled, Neve said. That's rude. Well, you and your ghost friend go do something that won't bother me, all right? I'm trying to learn this song. Not trying hard enough. B said. Neve giggled. What? Jeremy demanded. Neve covered her mouth with her hand and said, 
Nothing. I thought I heard you say something. Nope. Jeremy rolled his eyes. Just leave me alone, okay? His amplifier squealed so suddenly and so loudly that Jeremy accidentally kicked it over. He immediately shut it off and began inspecting his cables. Come on, I want to see your room, B said. Neve showed him the way. I'm sorry everyone's being so rude to you, Neve said once they were in her room. B walked around, taking the room in. It's okay, you're really nice. That's all that matters to me. Want me to see if it's okay you stay for dinner? Neve asked. B said, No, I think I should go soon. Thanks for inviting me over, though. He met Neve's eyes. Then his eyes looked just past her, and he cocked his head. He said, Hold still, and reached over her shoulder. When he brought his hand back, he was holding a stem from the weeping willow tree. It had five leaves in the early stages of their autumn turn attached to it. Was that in my hair? Neve asked, giggling. It must have gotten caught on you when you fell, B said. You should keep it. It can be a reminder of the day we met. Neve took the stem, smiling broadly, and thanked him. She didn't want him to go, but she showed him the way out anyway. Dinner passed, as usual, with sparse conversation. Being a Saturday evening, there wasn't even school for the parents to ask about. Without that timeless conversation piece, nobody really knew what to talk about. Neve tried to bring up B a couple of times, but no one seemed interested in that topic. As she got ready for bed, Neve heard Jeremy playing guitar in the basement again. Only this time, he actually sounded good. She didn't like the kind of music he played, and usually hated it even more because he couldn't stay in tune or on beat. But she could tell he was hitting all the right notes this time. Suddenly, Jeremy burst into her doorway. She looked up at him, pinching her eyebrows together. He was looking at her as if she had just performed some impossible magic trick. They stared at each other that way for five full seconds, while the system of a down riff echoed up through the vents. Jeremy's dumbfounded look morphed into something like disgust. He ran to the basement without a word. A few seconds later, the guitar went silent, and Jeremy came running back to Neve's room, panting. Did you... how could... was... he stammered. He looked from side to side, unable to keep still. Neve waited patiently for him to ask whatever it was he wanted to ask her. Then she noticed something just behind him. She hadn't noticed at first because it looked like Jeremy's shadow, but now she saw familiar pale skin peeking out from behind him and an eye which winked at her. When Jeremy finally walked away, B was fully exposed. He stood in the hallway wearing the same dirty clothes. The only change in him was a pair of dark circles, almost like bruises now surrounding his eyes. "'What are you doing here?' Neve whispered. B tiptoed into her room and closed the door. "'Sorry, I didn't want to go home,' he admitted. "'Was that you playing guitar?' "'Yeah, I didn't like how Jeremy talked to you, so I wanted to make him feel bad.' "'Why would you want to make somebody feel bad?' Neve asked innocently. B shrugged. "'Don't you ever want to hurt people when they're mean to you?' I don't want to hurt anybody, Neve said. She looked at her new friend as if she didn't know him at all. Okay, then what would you change about your family? If you don't want to hurt them, what would you do to make them different? Neve thought about this, temporarily ignoring the fact that her new friend had apparently snuck back into her house to taunt her brother. She said, I wish they smiled more. I almost never see my parents smile, 
and Jeremy never smiles ever. B studied her through squinted eyes. He said nothing until he suddenly asked, Can I sleep here tonight? Why? asked Neve, slightly uncomfortable. I told you, I don't want to go home. I could sleep under the bed so no one sees me. Neve considered this carefully. She didn't really want B sleeping under her bed. That was kind of creepy. He was kind of creepy all of a sudden. How about this? B said. I'll sleep here tonight, and if you don't like it, I won't do it tomorrow. Can we just try it? Neve gave him a slight nod and said, Yeah, okay, let's try it. Do you need any PJs? Mine might all be too small for you. That's okay, I'm comfortable like this. B touched her hand the way she had touched his at the park. He crouched down at her bedside, then slipped underneath. Neve lay down and closed her eyes. For a while, she thought she wouldn't be able to sleep. It seemed impossible with every firing synapse reminding her of the dirty boy sleeping beneath her. But an imposing darkness crept into her mind after the first ten minutes or so. It pushed away the pesky thoughts and questions which kept her awake and lulled her into a deep, wakeless slumber. When Neve woke on Sunday morning, B was already gone. She walked through the creaky house, giving the floorboards their morning stretch, calling for B in hushed tones, but she could not find him. I guess he got up even earlier than me and finally went home, she thought. A floorboard she had not been heavy enough to pop cracked behind her. She turned around, still expecting to see B, and was surprised to see her father there instead. He was usually the last to get out of bed, but there he was, smiling at her from the hallway. She waited for him to say something, but he only beamed at her, as if she was his favorite comedian about to put on a show. Hi, Dad, Neve said apprehensively. Good morning, he replied. His voice sounded low and groggy. He was typically a Sunday morning grump, and despite his cheery face, his voice told Neve he had maintained his regular attitude. Speaking seemed to snap him out of whatever trance he had been in, but the smile remained etched across his face. Neve's mother came down the hallway shortly after her dad disappeared into the kitchen. Neve was immediately horrified to see the same awful smile smeared on her mother's face like a bad makeup job. Have you been watching TV already? Her mother asked. Like her father's, her mother's voice did not at all reflect the smile on her face. No, I just woke up a little bit ago, Neve answered. Mom, why are you smiling? Her mother's hand went to her own face, to the corner of her mouth, as if dabbing away some spaghetti sauce painted by a wayward noodle. She shook her head at Neve with an exasperated shrug, then joined her father in the kitchen. Neve sat alone in the living room, listening to the bubbling sound of coffee percolating, catching the homey aroma as it intensified. She hated the taste of coffee, but absolutely loved the smell. An observer would have seen only a vacant, blinking child sitting on the couch, but Neve's mind had turned into a pinball machine. Occasionally, she would strike a thought or an idea, and her lights would flash. One such thought was a memory from the night before, her last conversation with B before he slipped under her bed. He had asked her what she would change about her family, and she had said, Oh no. Neve snuck around the corner to spy at her parents in the kitchen. She wanted to see if they still bore those hideous smiles. Her dad had his back turned, and her mom was sipping on a steaming mug. When she lowered the mug from her lips, 
Neve was relieved to see her mom's relaxed lips through the steam. But when her mother's eyes flicked toward Neve, her lips spread into that broad, unnatural smile. Neve ducked away again. B had done something. She was sure of it. She had suspected there might be something odd about him, and now she knew what. He was magic. She felt compelled to find him again, although subconsciously she felt him nearby, still in the house even. She needed to tell him to stop it. She had wanted her family to smile more because they were happy, joyful, maybe even laughing together, not because of some witchy trick. How long would it last? Would it ever stop? Neve jumped off the couch. She had to find B. She snuck out the front door, barefoot, and ran through the cold grass of their front yard, across the street, and into the park. The weeping willow danced slowly in the fog. The rising sun behind it created a perfect outline of its thinning branches, and sitting atop the highest branch was the silhouette of a young boy. By the time she reached the willow tree, Neve's toes were numb. The hems of her pajama pant legs were soaked. B? She called into the tree. Yes? His voice answered from behind her. Neve spun around and saw her friend standing there with a patient look on his face as if he had been waiting there for her the whole time. Did you do something to my parents? She asked. A mirthful grin spread across B's face. Of all the creepy smiles she had seen that morning, his was the worst. He asked, Your parents? No. You told me you wished your family smiled more. I thought you would be happy. You look happy. He pointed at her. At her mouth. Neve raised a hesitant hand to her face, touching the corner of her mouth the way she had seen her mother do. She followed her lips with one finger, tracing the outline of a wide grin. She took a big step back from B. No, she yelled. Make it stop. She tried to frown, felt her muscles contort, but her fingers told her the smile remained etched into her face. It's what you wanted, B said flatly. No, it's not. B tilted his head to the side. Neve said, I want my family to be happy. I want them to be fun and laugh and dance, and I don't want Jeremy to be so mean to me. I want them to smile for real, not pretend. She felt angry at B now. She said, I don't want to see you anymore. B's head straightened and his smile widened. Without another word, he faded into the fog. All but his smile. Neve reached out a hand to grab him, to hold him there. As much as she wanted him to go away and leave her alone, she still had questions. She wanted to know what he was, what he really was. But even as her hand entered the space he had occupied seconds before, he was gone. All but his smile. It hung in the fog like the Cheshire cat Neve had seen in the Alice in Wonderland cartoon. And a moment later, that vanished too. Auspicious Neve walked through the foggy park back to her house. From across the street, she heard a loud crash. The tinkle of shattered glass was punctuated by a single high note expelled by her mother. Neve waited, listening for an angry shout or an injured cry, but she only heard the muted and distant sound of her father laughing. Maybe the shattering hadn't been something bad after all. She envisioned a scene as she crossed the quiet road, her dad at the kitchen sink, scrubbing a plate or rinsing out a glass as it fell into the basin and shattered, startling her mom. 
Neve entered her home fully convinced the scenario she had concocted was true. Whoa, watch your step, her grinning father warned when Neve approached the kitchen. Her mother was sweeping thin shards of glass into a crystalline pile in the middle of the floor, humming as she worked. The shards did not belong to a plate or a glass or any kitchenware for that matter. Neve may not have recognized the shattered item at all, if the kitchen wasn't noticeably brighter than usual, causing her to look up at the newly exposed light bulbs in the center of the ceiling. How did that fall? She asked, pointing at where the light fixture used to be. No idea, her father shrugged. Then he laughed forcefully. One second it was up, the next it just fell. Did you do it? No, Neve replied. The break in conversation allowed her to hear her mother faintly giggling now. Neve asked, What's so funny? Huh? Nothing's funny, her father answered. Her mom ignored her. Have you ever seen Jeremy messing with this? Her father continued to laugh as he pointed up at the empty brass ring where the bowl-shaped glass fixture should have been. Neve's mother glanced away from her pile of shards to look up at the empty fixture, which she apparently found hysterically hilarious. Her giggles bubbled into a chortling laugh so intense she dropped her broom. All of this commotion finally brought Jeremy out of his room. At the sight of the broken glass, he too busted out in hysterical laughter. Neve ducked nervously and took a few steps away from her cackling sibling. Was she the only one who didn't see any humor in a broken light fixture? Guys, I don't get it, she said, loudly enough to be heard over their syncopated laughs. What's so funny? Jeremy shook his head and laughed even harder. The exposed light bulbs cast a glaring reflection on the kitchen window. The fog outside made the reflection crystal clear. Neve had paid no mind to the window until her mother bent over to scoop the collected shards into the dustpan. Where her mother's bright pink shirt had been reflected, Neve peripherally noticed the faint features of a pale face. But in the fraction of a second it took her eyes to focus on the window, the face vanished. Neve took a few more steps backward, distancing herself from her laughing family. Jeremy's laugh was such a foreign sound. It had been so long that Neve had forgotten what his laugh even sounded like. It sounded absolutely insane. It made her think anything could happen next, that her brother could, at any given moment, lose control and attack? This was B's fault, Neve was once again sure. She tried to recall their conversation by the weeping willow. What had she said this time? Last time she had told him she wanted her family to smile more. Had she asked for them to laugh? I want my family to be happy. I want them to be fun and laugh and dance. And I don't want Jeremy to be so mean to me. I want them to smile for real, not pretend. The words played back in her memory. This was B's fault. And also, hers? B was only doing what she had asked. Did he really think this is what she had wanted, though? A family of maniacs who would laugh at broken glass? B must have known what she had really meant. He must have understood her true meaning. So why was he doing this to her? To her family? Neve ran to her bedroom and slammed the door shut. A distorted chord, saturated in reverb, echoed up through the vent next to her bed. It was loud enough to hide her parents' laughter, which continually wafted through the closed door every minute or so. Neve apprehensively listened to her brother tune his guitar below her. Although she didn't have the language to describe the feeling, she felt an impending sense of dread. 
She felt like, once Jeremy finished tuning, something awful was going to happen. In preparation, she dove beneath her covers and curled into a ball. The high E string of Jeremy's guitar rang out as he finished tuning. It lingered, morphing into harmonic overtones as it echoed through the vents, ratcheting up the tension in Neve's chest. Then, with perfect precision, amateur Jeremy launched into the opening riff of Van Halen's Panama. Neve recognized the song from the radio, even without the rest of the instruments playing along. Joyous exclamations came from the kitchen. Somehow, these joyful sounds terrified Neve. Jeremy didn't stop at the intro riff. He continued to play Panama in perfect rhythm and tune. Neve had never heard Jeremy play a single measure of a song perfectly, let alone an entire verse. And when he hit the chorus, repeating the main riff with bouncy precision, Neve heard feet stomping along in the kitchen. Neve thought, at first, her parents were rearranging the dining chairs for some reason. It sounded like someone was knocking furniture around, but in perfect time with the music. Curiously, she slid her sheet down past her forehead, past her eyebrows, and at an angle which allowed only one shimmering eye to peek out. B stood at the foot of her bed, between her and the door. He had his hands on her footboard. His eyes studied her with clinical observation. With a shrill squeak, Neve flipped the sheet back over her head and dove beneath her pillows. She brought her legs up tight against her chest, her knees so high one struck her chin and made her teeth click together. Another squeak met her ears, muffled by the pillows and blankets. This sound was intimately familiar. She heard it each morning when she went out to greet the day, and each night when she shut out the world. It was the sound of her bedroom door yawning. It was swinging open, destroying the barrier between the terrified child and the disturbing foreign place that had so recently been her refuge. Her home. The longer Neve waited beneath the covers, the deeper her dread burrowed. The faux safety of the sheets flickered, intermittently allowing anxiety about where B was and what he was doing to infiltrate the fabric. As Jeremy entered the second chorus of Panama and her parents' footsteps, yes, they were undoubtedly dancing footsteps, pounded along, Neve couldn't handle the stress any longer. She threw off the pillows and sheets in one furious motion and prepared to scream. But B had, again, vanished. All Neve saw was her open door, beckoning to her, luring her back out into the house. Brave little Neve, feeling not brave at all, snuck into the hallway, past rooms she knew should be empty, daring not to look into them at the risk of meeting the observant eyes she felt upon her. Jeremy's song was almost over now, but their parents were still dancing noisily in the kitchen. At the end of the hallway, Neve could see them. They weren't even dancing together. They were standing apart on either side of the glass pile, each moving in rhythms of their own, but keeping the same beat. Neve had never seen either of them dance before. She wouldn't have guessed they even knew how. Their faces looked red. They glistened. The physical strain of keeping the upbeat tempo made it even more bizarre for them to have continued for so long. Their mouths hung open, breathing hard. That is, until Neve's father noticed her and looked up. His mouth snapped shut, and he bared his teeth in a manic grin, the rest of his body jangling beneath it as if he were a puppet on a string. 
that's what they had become. Puppets. As Neve recoiled into the hallway, she noticed her mother staring at her with the same hungry expression. Neve, her father's voice called out. Come dance with us, honey, invited her mother. Neve began to cry. What was wrong with her parents? Why were they acting this way? Would they ever stop? They would. The song ended. Jeremy muted the final chord and instantly returned to tuning his guitar loudly enough to be heard upstairs. Neve's mother went right back to scooping up the glass shards, and her father resumed washing the dishes. Jeremy finished tuning and started botching some riff that didn't sound very difficult, even to Neve. Sunday morning went back to normal, and Neve, as uncomfortable as she was, tried to act normal too. Somehow her family's laissez-faire demeanor during the rest of the day was more offensive to Neve than the smiling and dancing. It made her feel as if her family had been in on the joke and that she was the unfunny punchline. She went to bed Sunday night without saying goodnight to anyone. She simply closed the door and shut them out. Eventually, restless Neve began to hear everyone else going to bed too. Water hissing through pipes, closets sliding open and shut, and dragging footsteps told the individual stories of their bedtime routines in one interwoven compilation. She heard her parents' bedroom door close, then Jeremy's, and finally, she could relax. She thought about going to school tomorrow for the first time all day. She tried to remember if she had anything due and what Mrs. Yoon said they would be doing. Neve felt anxious to be at school, to be away from her home and family for seven distracting hours. Just as sleep began to stroke the edges of her mind, a new question woke her back up. Would B follow her to school? Then she wondered, what about the smiles? The dancing? The... Neve's racing mind was interrupted by the whisper of her bedroom door latch slipping from the bore. The door broke away from the jam and crept inward. With B already on her mind, Neve fully expected to see her so-called friend standing in the dark hallway, asking to sleep under her bed again. No way would she allow him to this night. Could she deny him, though? Would he let her? She would not have a chance to answer those questions, because standing in the doorway was not B, but her father. Dad? Neve asked. He stepped into the room, his features shaded by shadows cast by her nightlight. He turned his back to Neve and slowly, quietly, closed the door again. Dad? Neve asked again. What are you doing? When he turned back around, he was smiling that awful, bee-influenced smile. Neve screamed for her mommy. Her father lunged over the bed. She threw up her sheets and rolled out of his path. Her bed sheets tangled him up for a second, just long enough for Neve to put some space between them. Her father had the advantage of being closer to the door. Neve was trapped. She had no idea what her father's intentions were, but she knew they weren't really his intentions anyway. He pounced off the bed, and she barely avoided his grasping fingertips. His momentum carried him into the wall. He seemed to bounce off. While he recovered, Neve darted toward the closed door. She only managed to escape because it opened inward, creating a barrier for her as she ran out. Neve was smart enough to slam the door shut behind her. She heard her father's body thud against it, then slide down. She saw the crack in the door go dark because he had blocked the nightlight's glow. 
Unfortunately, that faint, leaking glow would have been Neve's only light. She now found herself in perfect darkness. Although she knew the house well enough to walk through it with her eyes closed most nights, on this one, she felt so out of place that she didn't trust her muscle memory. She grazed the wall with her fingertips as she tiptoed down the hallway, unsure of where she was going to go. They had a few friendly neighbors, and although Neve didn't know them too well, she thought she might be able to get some help. She couldn't trust anyone in her family. Hopefully, she could still trust other people. Behind her, a door opened. Not her bedroom door, thankfully, but her parents. Neve turned around, forgetting the hallway was too dark to see anything. A footstep creaked toward her, then another. Neve continued down the hallway, backwards now, keeping her eyes trained where she thought the footsteps were coming from. The next two came quicker. Then a third pair followed even more rapidly. By the fourth, they were running, and so was Neve. Get over here, Neve, her mother ordered. Neve didn't slow. She could not afford to. Her mother was rapidly gaining on her. In the living room, she finally caught up. The back of Neve's pajama shirt stretched and the front dug into her neck. Her feet tried to keep running, but a forceful tug from her mother's hand brought Neve to the ground. Neve opened her mouth, but her mother's hand smacked it shut again. This unexpected violence triggered an equal reaction. Neve rotated on her back and kicked both legs at her mother's grinning face. Her mother absorbed kicks to the forehead and cheeks, even one to the nose which made a bubble wrap crack. One of Neve's bare heels caught her mother's throat. This made her recoil and give Neve a chance to reposition herself and deliver a powerful knee to her mother's temple. She missed and instead struck her jaw, which had the same effect. Her mother's unconscious body slumped to the floor. Neve scurried to the front door, unlocked it, and threw it open so hard it bounced back and struck her behind as she opened the storm door. Into the night, she ran, barefoot and with only her pajamas to protect against the cold October night. She ran through the grass, crossing from her yard into the neighbors. The moon hung low in the sky, hovering right behind the weeping willow in the park, illuminating its thinning branches. Neve! Jeremy yelled. Now he was the one running behind her, gaining effortlessly. Help! Neve screamed. Somebody please help me! Going to the neighbor wouldn't help anymore. Jeremy would be on her long before anyone answered the door. She diverted to the park instead, a place she knew well. She sorted through possible hiding places in her head as she crossed the street. Someone's porch light came on, reminding Neve to keep screaming for help. Someone had heard her, and maybe more would too. Jeremy was gaining so rapidly that Neve had already abandoned the idea of hiding. She wouldn't have enough time. More porch lights turned on, and a few windows lit up. Neve heard someone yell, Who's out there? And she screamed louder still. Now Neve ran in a straight line, unable to afford to slow down enough to change course. And where else was Jeremy chasing her, but straight to the weeping willow? Neve wondered where she would go when she reached the pond. Hey, hey you! Somebody shouted across the park. Neve, darling? Another called. Yet a third exclaimed, They're in the park! We're coming, Neve! Stay away, creep! When Neve reached the willow tree, she could run no further. She had two choices, climb or swim. Her last climb hadn't gone so well, 
but she leapt up and wrapped her arms around the lowest branch anyway. She got one leg over the branch before Jeremy caught up. He grabbed her stretched shirt and tried to pull her down, but Neve held fast. Let go, a gruff voice demanded. Below her, Neve heard a soft thump and two grunts, and the tension in her shirt disappeared. Heart racing, she pulled herself onto the branch, successfully climbing into the tree. From there, she continued upward as one of the brave neighbors wrestled her brother below. It's Neve and her brother, a woman yelled. We've got you, kiddo, someone else said. A second person joined in the wrestling match under the tree. Jeremy growled and sent one of them sprawling. The other, he tossed into the cold, scummy water. A bystander yelled, What the hell? Another, Diablo! The group of neighbors, Neve couldn't count them in the dark, formed a semicircle around Jeremy. Neve climbed high enough that no one could reach her and said, My brother isn't doing this. Something is making him. Where are your parents? A woman asked. This question spawned murmurs throughout the group. I don't know, Neve said. It got them too. And I'll take every one of you who doesn't scurry away right now, Jeremy growled. A deeper voice blended with his own. Oh God, it is a demon, the man in the water yelled. He stopped cold in more ways than one. Jin! Neve recognized Mr. Badur, who had yelled this word. He dropped to his knees, folded himself to the ground, and began to pray feverishly aloud. Oh God Almighty, one of the women began, praying to her own higher power. The man from the pond now emerged, yanking a crucifix out from under his shirt. He tackled Jeremy from behind and pressed the silver cross to the boy's forehead. His possessor howled and tossed the man off easily. Others were praying now. People of varying faiths whispered and chanted and sung in an aural stew of languages. Some repeated rote prayers while others babbled off the cuff. More symbolic jewelry, hand signs, and tattoos appeared amongst them. One woman yelled, I have some holy water. I don't know if it works, but... She separated and ran off. Neve had recognized her as Miss Brack, a woman her parents had told her to steer clear of because she was into, quote, witchy stuff. A few brave neighbors, emboldened by Jeremy's confused reaction to the onslaught of spiritual attacks, grabbed a hold of him again. He fought, clawing and spitting, but they put him on his back. This whole time, Neve had continued to climb. Below her, everyone who wasn't engaged in physical combat had closed their eyes and either gotten on their knees or were standing with hands raised to the heavens. Almost nobody noticed when Neve hoisted herself onto a dead limb, which bowed dangerously under her weight. The two who did notice were Mr. Hanlon and Mr. Weeks, an atheist couple whose sticker-ridden bumpers had been the subject of constant mockery from Neve's father. This couple were the only neighbors who still had their eyes open. Mr. Hanlon boosted Mr. Weeks into the tree. He, being much taller than Neve, was able to reach the girl before she even recognized the peril she was in. Mr. Weeks steadied Neve on a stronger branch, just as the dead one had started crackling. Witchy Miss Brack returned, breathless, with a small vial. Here, she shouted, diving into the fray. She uncorked the vial and sprinkled a few droplets of water on Jeremy. He hissed and fought harder against the hands, elbows, and knees holding him down. The renewed outburst did not last long. His strength quickly waned 
and those holding him saw his eyes grow wide and desperate. They flashed from neighbor to neighbor, looking more terrified of each one in turn. All the struggling had shifted the group toward the edge of the pond. Jeremy's possessor had one final trick handy. Like a hungry alligator, he grabbed hold of one of the men and flipped him into the pond. The shock of Jeremy's sudden movement caused the rest to lose their holds on him. The man and Jeremy tumbled into the water, rolling deep enough that with each rotation, one of them was entirely submerged. A flailing elbow had knocked the vial from Miss Brack's hand. It spun through the air, dashing holy water as it flew. The now empty vial landed with an inaudible splash next to the deafening struggle between Jeremy and his victim. Jeremy, who had been on top when the holy water rained on the pond, snapped his head back and howled. The man below him managed to slip out and raised his head high enough to choke down some air. Jeremy remained paralyzed with his head pulled back, mouth open, and hands frozen in claws for a few seconds, then went entirely limp. He splashed, face first, into the water. At the very instant Jeremy's face broke the surface, a geyser exploded upward from the center of the pond. It looked as if a meteor had struck. Most of the water in the pond either splashed out over the gathered praying neighbors or washed up past the bank, leaving a muddy pit in its wake. The half-drowned man clamored to his feet and, in yet another instant of selfless bravery, dragged Jeremy's limp body through the mud before the water could pour back in around them. Neve and Jeremy's parents ran through the group of stunned onlookers. All prayers, chants, and songs had ceased, and everyone was on their feet again. Mr. Hanlon and Mr. Weeks helped Neve down from the tree, while Mr. Badur performed CPR on Jeremy. Neve's parents ran straight to her, not realizing it was their son laying unconscious a few feet away. The words, He's alive! just barely outpaced a fit of sputtering, wet coughs from the boy on the ground. Only then did his parents realize what was happening and go to his aid. Neve's parents never truly got to hear a full, accurate account of what happened that night. They rushed Jeremy straight to the hospital and stayed with him overnight and most of the next day. Consequently, the neighbors had plenty of time to replay and retell the account of the terrifying experience. Certain elements were forgotten, people left out, actions exaggerated, and by the time the story reached Neve and Jeremy's parents, it had been bent so far out of true that they could not believe a word. Even Neve questioned her own memory, as most of its contents were too fantastical to be believed. Her parents and Jeremy have no memory of anything between going to bed and the moment Jeremy was saved. They still do not understand how Neve got stuck up in a tree in the middle of the night or how Jeremy nearly drowned trying to attack her? Rescue her? Neve is satisfied not letting them remember the full truth. The experience, however vague in their memories, still brought them all a little closer together and mended a few of the gaps that had formed since Jeremy had become a raging teenager. Neve had but one fear remaining. She dreaded the day she might see B standing in some corner or peeking at her from a reflection. She feared, whenever she passed beneath a tree, willow, or otherwise, that she might hear his voice calling to her again. She has been steering clear of the weeping willow in the park and through the stem Bee had plucked from her hair out the window, 
she was glad to see the last of the tree's leaves fall off near Autumn's end, leaving nowhere amongst its branches to hide. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.